0: pastor once said that uh, life is a little bit like a, a down escalator. Um, and I, I think that, that there's a lot of truth in that statement. And so the thought is, imagine you're, you're, you're trying, you have to make your way up to a second floor. Uh, and the only way up to that second floor is by going up a down escalator. Right, so so what do you what do you got to do? You're going up this thing that's coming down, so you got to work extra hard. You got to run really hard. You got to keep going, uh, doing all you can to to make your way up to the top of this this thing that's kind of pushing against you. But what happens if at some point you get tired and you stop? You stop moving. What happens if you stop trying? Well, it just takes you right back down. It just takes you right back down to where you started. And that's what life is like in so many ways. I took four semesters of French uh, in my college years. Uh followed, uh, that was after i had taken two, uh, two years of French in high school, and then right after I graduated college, I got to go on this five-week mission trip uh, to Africa. Uh, we spent most of our time there in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which the official national language is French. They speak Swahili and French there, and, and by, by the end of that five weeks, like, I was feeling like really encouraged, like I was understanding more and more what was being said in French to me, and as was actually, you know... A, able to be dangerous and trying to get by speaking a little bit too. Uh, it, was, it was growing. I felt like it was really getting better. And then I came back from that trip in like early July 1998. It's a little bit ago. Um, and I've never used my French since, right? You know how good my French skills are today? Uh, they're terrible, They're terrible. I I don't know anything, really. Uh, uh, Because of my trips to Brazil in recent years, I'd actually say I probably am more competent in Portuguese than I am in French. And that's not saying much because I hardly know any Portuguese. Uh, Very dependent upon the interpreters and the translators we have uh, there. Uh, So why why is that? Why is that? I spent all that time studying. I had that experience. and, And now I know nothing. Why is that? Because life is like a down escalator. You know, when you stop, you don't just stay in the same place, right? It it leaves you. Uh, You stop using it, it starts to leave you. Same way, right? You get out of your routine of exercise at the gym. What happens? Well, those miles are suddenly a lot harder to, to run than they were before. The same weight that you used to lift is a lot more challenging now. Why? Because life is a down escalator. Our bodies were made to move, right? And when you stop moving, you don't just stay where you were, you lose ground. And that's really kind of getting at the heart of what Jesus says to us here in John 15, 5. We're going to step out of Exodus today with Baptism Sunday. And so we're going to be in John chapter 15. Um, and in John fifteen five, 5, he, he tells us that the Christian life it is designed to be this vibrant life, a life a life of activity and joy where you, you use the gospel you've been given, you abide in the gospel you've been given, and you actively join Jesus on mission, on the mission that he sends you on to share that gospel with others. But the motive and the source of that vibrant life is not your own effort and strength. It's not you trying really hard to run up that down escalator, it is Jesus himself. It is abiding in Christ is what gives you life, and abiding in Christ is what pushes you out to truly live the vibrant life He's called you to. That's what we're going to see as we dig into John 15 verse five. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we do have some free copies out here at the connection table. We'd love to give you as a gift that you can keep, um, and you can grab one of those at any time uh, you, you want today. Well let's stand together. Let's hear from John 15, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray by your grace. that you'd help us to see our, our, our desperate need for you, our desperate need to, to abide in your son, to, to, to find our life in you, in you alone. Lord, we pray that you would, would grow us by your grace, that you would enable us to, to, to really live the lives you called us to live, to live out the mission you've, you've sent us on, uh, to join you in every way uh, in, in living for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. So just a a little bit of context, since we're jumping right into the middle of the Gospel of John here. This is Jesus, of course, in John 15, speaking to his disciples in the upper room. Uh, He's washed their feet. He's prepared them for what's about to happen to him. At least he's tried to. Uh, He's promised them the, the Holy Spirit, that he's sending the Holy Spirit after he departs. And he's now preparing them to be sent out. And this, that's the context for what he says here in John fifteen five. 5. So, so let's make some observations about the Christian life that we see here. The first observation is this, is that the Christian life is a fruitful life. It's a fruitful life. Repeatedly throughout John 15, verses 1 through 17, Jesus makes it clear that his true disciples live fruitful lives. If you abide in Christ, if you truly follow Jesus and you make your home in Jesus, there will be fruit in your life. That's what he says time and again. Conversely, this is what he says in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If there is no fruit in your life, Jesus says, it's a sign that you're a dead branch that you're not really abiding in Him, that you don't really belong to Him. And in verse 2 and verse 6, Jesus warns us that dead branches, they're cut off, they're gathered up, they're discarded, they're burned. In other words, a Christian will bear lasting fruit in their life. It's a sign that they're they're truly in Christ, that they will bear bear lasting fruit. And Jesus seems to say in that, that, that basically this, right? You're either growing in the Christian life and bearing fruit or you're dying. Life is a down escalator. To stop and do nothing is not to remain in the same place. You're either growing or you're dying, right? Your French leaves you, your muscles atrophy. You are either growing or you are dying. And now when Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing, he's not saying there that people who do not know Christ, who do not abide in Christ are incapable of doing anything. That's that's not what he's saying. There are a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus, who who do a lot of things, even a lot of good things. I, I have unbelieving friends who are wonderful neighbors, who are devoted to their careers. They're incredible parents thoughtful and kind people in the way they go about their lives. Jesus isn't saying that those who don't know him are incapable of anything or even anything good. His point is is that you are not going to do anything of eternal significance apart from him. You will not do anything that is going to have lasting fruit apart from Christ. In the end, apart from Jesus, whatever good that it is that you do, whatever you accomplish in this life, no matter how impressive, no matter how good or wholesome it is, in the end, it's all gonna burn. Christian life is a fruitful life, and the fruit it bears lasts. It eternally it's eternal fruit. So what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Is it, is it the fruit of like this growing holiness, uh, an increasing obedience to the Lord, you know, like a life marked by growing Christian character? Is it the fruit of greater intimacy with the Lord, uh, a greater experience of His love that in turn moves you to be loving, more loving? Those are certainly aspects of the fruit. Uh, that we see in the Christian life and in the lives of those who abide in Christ. But, but Jesus seems throughout this, this, this passage here to have a very specific fruit in mind. And the broader context gives us a clue. Look at verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What is it that Jesus appointed his disciples to go and do? Right, the Great Commission spells it out very clearly for us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded to you. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age And John 15, as John 15 continues, even after verse 17 into verse 18 to the end of the chapter, Jesus immediately, what does he start talking about? He starts talking about uh, the experience of persecution that the disciples are going to encounter, that they're going to face because they are Christ's witnesses. And how that persecution that they're going to experience is really not a rejection of them, it's a rejection of Christ. And then he says this in verse 27, last verse of the, of the chapter. And you, will, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is talking throughout this chapter specifically about the fruit of mission. The fruit of making disciples. Fruit that lasts. Eternal fruit. New converts, new followers of Christ who will dwell with Christ in glory for all eternity. That's the specific fruit he's he's referencing here. And Jesus says that if you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. He will work in and through you to reach others with his good news, to save them, to bring them into the family of God. Christian, your life is meant to bear the fruit of making disciples, that's what you were created for, that's what you were saved for. That's what you were designed for by God's grace. So the question that is implied here is this, are you seeing that fruit in your life? Is your life marked by a growing compassion for your unbelieving neighbors and your coworkers? Do you have a a growing desire to build relationships with people who do not yet know Christ? To practice hospitality, to invite them into your home and into your life? Do you have a growing desire to share with others how Jesus has made an impact in it and completely transformed your own life? To share that story with them so that they can know that joy too. Do you find yourself praying for people? Praying for people you know need to to meet Jesus? Are you having gospel conversations? Not just with Christians, but with, with people who need to hear the good news. Are you seeing people respond to invitations to, to come to church with you, to come to your community group with you? Are you extending invitations? Are you seeing people put their hope in Christ and grow in their faith? If none of that is even on your radar, you're not even thinking about that, then what does that communicate? Now, I want to be careful here because it's not that living on mission is what saves you and makes you a Christian. Like, living on mission doesn't save you. You don't save yourself through your own work and your own effort. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. However, living on mission is a sign. It's a sign that you've you've been saved. It's a sign that you know Christ, that you are making your home in Christ, that you are truly following Jesus. It's, It's a sign. It's evidence that Jesus is truly the Lord of your life evidence that you're you're actually living for him the christian life is a fruitful life of mission we see again and again right what does god do he calls he saves and he sends whether that's yahweh and moses in exodus chapter three or whether it's jesus here in john 15 verse 16 i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide The Christian life is a fruitful life. That's the first observation. A second observation is this, is that the Christian life is an abiding life. A natural question might be this. If the Christian uh, life is supposed to be a fruitful life of mission, then how are we to do that? How do we do that? Am I supposed to just get busy? Just, you know, work really hard at living on mission? Is it all on me? Is it all on you to make this happen? No, Jesus says, "I am the vine; you are the branches." This is absolutely revolutionary. What Jesus is saying here, we we cannot miss the significance of this. Once again, here Jesus, the Bible is making clear to us that Christianity is no mere religion. Christianity is just not a. a, It's not some philosophy. It's not just another way of, of thinking and living. It's something else entirely. Jesus is pointing to such an intimate connection here. I am the vine and you are the branches. To become a a Christian isn't simply to subscribe to a new way of thinking and living. Or, or, you know, to pursue some some new approach to to life. To become a Christian is to have your heart uprooted out of the decaying soil of death and replanted into the life-giving soil of Jesus Christ. It is to have the the dead branch that you are on your own apart from Christ grafted into the vine. The life-giving vine that is Jesus Christ. To have his life begin to flow in and through you, giving you life. A a branch, you know, let's go back to, you know, science class, life science, right? A branch gets the nutrients and, and the water that the stem or the trunk, right, the vine gets from the ground. The branch has no direct access to it. The branch receives everything from the vine, This is the connection that the believer has with Christ. If the branch is truly joined to the vine, then life flows into that branch so that it can grow and so that it can bear much fruit. Therefore, if a branch is not growing and the branch is not bearing fruit, then it's not truly joined to the vine. It might appear to be joined to the vine, right? You've seen, you've seen a vine, right? Sometimes there's dead branches that are laying on there. They look like they're connected, but then you pull them and they just come right off. It might be superficially joined like that. It might be cosmetically joined, but it's not actually joined. Therefore, life and growth and fruit flow from that actual connection of the branch to the vine. In other words, for you to experience the life that Jesus gives, to experience the growth and transformation that he brings, you can't simply just get around him and and let him influence you. You have to be united to him by faith. Completely united to him by faith. You, You have to have the Holy Spirit come into your heart and enliven you, renewing you, reviving you. You have to be united with Christ by faith by this complete giving of yourself to him. This complete surrender to him. Now where you hold on to parts of yourself, like this part's mine, I'm going to live this my way. Where you give all of yourself completely to him. You have to be united with Christ by faith. Simply going through the motions won't cut it. Right, going, start going to church. Right, start reading the Bible. Start praying. Start, start trying to be a good person. Be nice to other people. That won't be enough. It won't cut it. That's superficial. That's cosmetic. You look like you're a branch connected to the vine because you show up here because you occasionally read your Bible. But are you actually connected? You have to actually have your heart, your life, joined to Jesus by faith. And if you're not a Christian, that means that you have to come to this place where you say, my doing is not enough. I am incapable of fixing this on my own. Right? On my own, I do not measure up to God's standard of holiness, his standard of goodness. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of rescue. I need a savior. I need Jesus to be my savior, to be my Lord. I need his life live for me. I need his death as my death for sin. I need his victory that he secures in the resurrection. I need to give myself completely to him in faith. And Having your life joined to to Christ in faith, the way to grow, the way to see fruit in your life is to continue to abide in him. Only by participating in the very life of the Godhead, the one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, only by by participating in the very life of the Trinity, being grafted into the vine that is Jesus Christ, can you escape the down escalator that is this life. But here's the thing, when you do that, when you put your hope in Christ, when you are connected to Him, united with Him in faith, and you abide in Christ, you fly up. You don't just get like stronger legs so you can make it happen. You fly up. You escape it. You escape the dying and decay by abiding in Christ. So what does it mean to abide, right? Some of of your translations, if you have different English translations here, might use the word remain instead of abide. But, right, remain, abide. The idea carries with it this this visual of of making your home in Jesus. That you make Jesus your home. You dwell in him. But in the context here, the the meaning that really kind of jumps out is that it means to depend upon to depend upon, to completely depend upon. Just as the branch depends upon the vine for its very life, you and I are to depend upon Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Jesus gives us some hints here in the larger context of the passage. Four specific aspects of abiding in him are pointed to throughout John 15. The first is this. Jesus says in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you first thing Jesus points to is abiding in his word. Abiding in his word. So what does that look like? Right? It's one thing if you follow a Bible reading plan. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to be reading through the Bible. It's one thing to read the Bible in a, in a reading plan. It's one thing to go to the Bible for inspiration or even to gain like doctrinal information. But it's another thing to truly abide in God's word and let it abide in you. Paul talks about uh, in Colossians 3:16 letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalmist in Psalm 119:103 says how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. Right? That's not the words of someone who just read like today's daily Bible reading and then put a check mark by it. So, words of someone who delights to feed upon God's word, that finds nourishment and, and, and satisfaction and life in the very words of God. To depend upon it, to abide in the word means to feed on it, to digest it, to let it come in and be a part of you. It, it means that you depend upon God's word to bring you life, to, to absorb the nutrients that are there to let it it feed you and fill you and shape you, renewing and transforming your mind. It's more than just reading the Bible, right? It's studying the Bible. It's thinking deeply on the Bible. It's praying the Bible. It's memorizing the Bible. And then continuing to think about it throughout your day. Imagine the difference it would make in your life if you took some time this year to memorize Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You planted it deeply into your heart and you fed upon it. You let its nutrients shape you and renew your heart, renew your mind. That it's just readily there. That when you fall on your face in sin, you can immediately go back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I've been set free from the spirit of sin and death, by by the spirit of life. That the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave dwells within my heart, Romans 8. The same spirit is at work within me. The guarantee that he will finish the work he started in me. That spirit is testifying with my spirit constantly that that I am God's beloved child, that that is who I am. I'm not my sin. I'm not my failure. I'm his son. That when hard things come your way, when suffering comes your way, you can remember that God works all things for good for those who love him. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Having that drilled down deep into your heart Not just so you can answer Bible trivia, but where you believe it, where you're preaching that to yourself again and again and again as you walk through your days. That's what it looks like to let the word dwell in you richly, to abide in the words of Christ. That's the first aspect. Second aspect of abiding in Christ that Jesus mentions is prayer. That's what the second half of verse 7 is referencing when it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this isn't God saying, hey, here I am. I'm your cosmic vending machine. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done. You know, like a genie in the bottle. This is not what it, that's not what it's about. But, but as you abide in Jesus, as you abide in his word, and his word abides in you, what happens is your heart's desires are shaped to be his desires. And so you come asking of him, what you ask for is what he desires. And he delights to give you those good desires. So you'll find yourself praying for things like this. I want more of you, Jesus. I want to know you more. Right? I want to more deeply experience your love and grace in my life. That's a prayer that he delights to answer. You'll find yourself praying for your unbelieving neighbors. That God would open their hearts to faith, that he would open opportunities to share Christ with them. Praying for your children. To know Christ for themselves, praying for their future spouses to know Christ, praying for their future children to know Christ. Jonathan Edwards, a great American uh, preacher and theologian, was known to pray for up to four or five generations of his family on a regular basis. Those are good desires that God delights. To answer, abiding in Christ, abiding in his word will result in prayerful listening to him that shapes your asking to reflect his heart and his desire for his glory to be made known. The third aspect Jesus mentions is abiding in his love in verse 9. You realize that at the, at the very moment, the very moment that you put your faith in Jesus, everything that is true of him becomes true of you. His life becomes your life. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. His death to sin becomes your death to sin. Your debt paid in full. His resurrection becomes your newness of life. Through faith in Christ, you're adopted into the family of God. As his beloved son, as his beloved daughter, there is now no condemnation, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Remembering this, living in this, depending on it, begins to transform you and reshape you in every single way. So you know, abiding in his love, you're not your sin from this past week. You're not that moment that you blew up, you got frustrated. You're not that moment where you took that lustful glance. No, that's not who you are in Christ. The righteousness of God. You're not your failure to live on mission. The righteousness of God, His perfection clothes you. You're not your performance, good or bad. You're in Christ. And his finished work is what now defines you. Now, you must understand this. God's love for you doesn't grow as you abide in it. His love for you doesn't doesn't change. You're as loved by God that first moment, the first moment that you gave your life to Christ in faith, as you will ever be. You're as loved that moment. As you will ever be. You're as forgiven and as delighted in by God on that first moment as you will ever be. That doesn't change. But as you abide in His love, what is happening is that you are living off of it. You're living off of that love that doesn't change, that doesn't abandon you. Your your awareness of His love is what grows, your appreciation and your enjoyment of it is what grows. And the more that it grows, the more it shapes you to live out of his love and extend his love to others. You remember the lengths that Jesus has gone to, you, to, to to love you, how he has pursued you when you were running from him in the opposite direction, how he continued to faithfully come after you. The lengths that he was willing to go to, to die as your sin on the cross for you. That's what shapes you to know that you're loved. That's what shapes you to love others, to extend grace, to forgive one another, to reconcile with one another. And this leads directly into the fourth aspect that Jesus mentions, and that is gospel-motivated obedience seen in verse 10. He says, "'If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love.'" Jesus says that obedience and abiding in his love are intertwined. They go together. Obeying God and abiding in Christ's love are are intertwined. That as you live in his love for you, you will delight to obey him and do what he says. And that as you do what he says, you'll see that his commandments are good. They're loving. They're good for you. They're not keeping you from something. They're actually for your good. They're keeping you from evil. They're keeping you from what is bad for you. Not keeping you from what is good. And as you obey, you'll, you'll get pushed deeper and deeper into his love. As you step out in faith to love others, to join Christ on mission, you find that he's with you. As he promises, he's with you. That no matter the response, good or bad, his love for you is unwavering. And that's what matters. The willingness of Christ to be rejected for you, to be mocked as he hung on that cross for you, that will propel you to be willing to be rejected for his sake. And even like Paul, to consider it a joy to share in the sufferings of Christ. How do you abide in Christ? You depend upon his word. You depend upon him in prayer. You, you depend upon him in his, in his gracious love. And you depend upon him as you step out in obedient, active faith. That's how you abide. Not just the moment here or there, but moment by moment. Directing and redirecting your heart to, and your mind to constantly be on Christ, be fixed on Christ, in His Word, in prayer, abiding in His love, and, and stepping out in obedience to do what He says. You do that, and you will experience an ever-deepening connection to Jesus. And, and through that connection, you will see increasing fruit. Yes, the fruit of Increasing holiness and godly character, uh, uh, the fruit of increasing intimacy with God, a greater affection for Christ, and yes, the fruit of actually living on mission and seeing disciples made, people coming to faith, getting to baptize them and celebrate in that moment their public identification with Christ. Seeing Jesus work in and through you. And this shows us that the Christian life is a vibrant life. It's the third observation. The Christian life is a vibrant life. The Christian life is not passive. It's not passive. We treat it a lot of times, I think, in Western culture, like the Christian life is this passive thing. It's not a life of sitting back, waiting for something to happen, or waiting for something to move you. But it's also not a life where it's all on you to make it happen. John 15 is clear that God is the one who is the source of life and growth. He is the one who supplies the fruit. But it's also clear that we have work to do in that as well. We have work to do. Not the work that saves us. Not the work that produces the fruit. But we have been called to work nonetheless. We have been called to a vibrant life, to an active life, to a fully alive life of abiding in Christ. And it's not an easy life. The Christian life is not an easy life. Verse 2 makes it clear. right? God is a gardener. He's a gardener, and he has the gardening shears in his hand. And he cuts off dead branches that don't bear fruit, and he prunes He cuts back the branches that are alive and do bear fruit. In other words, no branch remains the same. No branch escapes the gardening shears. Every branch gets cut. Pastor Sam Albury, he says it like this. There will be times when it will feel like God is killing you. There will be times when it feels like he's pruning you far too harshly the blades will be very sharp but Jesus wants you to see that the person holding them is unfailingly kind and good we must remember that when it feels that way that, that god is cutting us back that we might grow that we might bear even more fruit that he might shape us and grow us to be the people he desires for us to be to image his goodness and his glory he is good He is kind, and it's for your good when he cuts you back. Christian life is not an easy life. It's not a life where every day is a Friday, right? I know that's a a book title by a heretic, but it's not every day is a Friday. It's not every day is a Saturday morning with nothing on the agenda. Have you ever had one of those days? Right? No, they don't exist. Uh, um, not for most of us. Uh, the, the Christian life is, is very difficult at times. The Christian life can be very wearisome. You get tired, but even so, it is intended to be a vibrant life. But the vibrancy comes from abiding in Christ, abiding in His Word, abiding in prayer, abiding in His love, and stepping out in obedient faith. Rest is an essential part of this life, of this Christian life, this vibrant life, but not rest in the way that we often think about it. We think of rest like that lazy Saturday with nothing to do, a day that that we then fill with entertainment and staring at many screens. But that's not really rest. The rest that the Bible has in mind The rest that is essential is resting in Christ. That's what renews. That's what restores. That's what refreshes. Abiding in his word. Abiding in prayer. Abiding in his love. Even in the midst of the very long days of parenting, toddlers or teenagers, They're both exhausting. It's just a different kind of exhaustion. Um, Even in the midst of that, even in the midst of busy days of work and school, even in the busyness of living on mission and pouring out into others for the sake of the gospel, even in the midst of all of that, God invites you to find rest in Him. And even in your weariness to experience the vibrant life that comes from abiding in Christ, When you get to the end of your life, right, you don't want to be saying things like, I wish I would have spent more time praying with my spouse. You don't want to be saying things like, I wish I would have spent more time pouring God's word into my children. And letting them know how much I love them and how much God loves them even more. I wish I would have shared the gospel with my dear friend who doesn't know Christ. If you get to the end of your life and you're bummed that you didn't see every episode of Downton Abbey, or you didn't like watch The Office for the fifth time all the way through, like, I think you'll get over it. I think you'll be Okay but if you get to the end of your life and you find yourself regretting not doing the very things that you were created and saved to do, now that will be the real tragedy. That will be the real tragedy. No matter whether our life ends at at 20, 40, 80, that will be the tragedy. God saves us And he sends us to live for his glory. He calls us to abide in him and to live vibrant lives of faith bearing much fruit. You understand, Jesus has people in this city that are his people, but right now they do not yet know him, they have not yet heard him and heard his message of grace for them. And he's called you and he saved you. And he is sending you to go to them. To share the good news that he shared with you. To share the joy that you have because he saved you. He's calling you and sending you to share that with them. Abide in him and bear much fruit. When you're tired, when it feels like he's pruning you back too, too painfully, too harshly, That's when we have to think upon Jesus and remember he was tired, he got tired, so tired he fell asleep on a boat in the middle of what what we would have thought would seem like a hurricane if we were on it. Think upon Jesus who didn't, who wasn't merely just cut back but was completely cut off for our sake. So that we would only be cut back. Let His love for you, let His grace for you move you to press into Him, to abide in Him, and to live for Him in every single way. As we prepare to to come to the Lord's table today, we, we have an invitation to abide in Christ, remembering Christ's body that was broken, His blood that was shed for our sins. Uh, Believers, you're invited to come forward as we continue to worship here in just a few moments to share in this meal. We we take it by breaking off a piece of the bread, tearing it off, dipping it in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The the wine is in the glasses marked with twine. If you're not a believer in Christ, this is a, a meal that's reserved for Christians, but the invitation is open to you to take Christ in faith. There'll be pastors and prayer responders here in the back of the room. We'd love to visit with you, love to pray with you about anything. Let's let's worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your gracious love. God, that you don't leave us as we are. That you don't call us to just be as we are. But Lord, you, you, you call us, you save us, you reshape us by your grace to be your people, to delight in you, to join you in the work that you've called us and designed us to be a part of. Lord, I pray that by your grace, you would enable us to hunger for real rest, the rest that comes from abiding in your word, from letting it fill us and saturate us in in every way possible, The, the rest that comes from abiding with you in prayer, not just where we rattle off our requests, but where we listen to your heart and we let it shape ours to desire what you desire to abiding in your love, remembering that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, remembering the lengths that you have gone to to rescue us and make us your people. The rest that even comes from getting busy, stepping out, and being obedient to you and doing the things you call us to do. Lord, would you help us to abide in you, to find real life in you, and to live that life for your glory in every way, that we would bear much fruit, that we would see more and more people in this city and in this world come to know Christ because of what you are doing in our lives, because of your grace, because of your goodness. God, would you move us to live for you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.